Happy birthday, America. EscapingTheCave.com, also on the ChristopherMedia.net network, and at ETC Pod on Twitter. Escaping the Cave. And I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. Zilla X-Pod. Todd Zilla X-Pod. Howdy, Tonzilla Files, and welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, the Tonzilla X-Pod on the ChristopherMedia.net network. Also on Apple Podcasts, all of those handy-dandy, neat little podcatchers, too. I'm prolific. You can find me on the internet like you can find pornography. And if you can't, I have tips. Hope you're having a good week. Hope you had a great 4th of July. It is uh, the very early morning. (coughs) I always do that. Clear your throat before you crack the mic, Todd. Early morning of Friday, July the 5th. Wee hours of the morning. And it looks like uh, everything went okay with Donald Trump's little gathering there in D.C. (laughs) Boy, I don't know what to think of the response to that thing. The apoplectic spasms. I don't understand it. I spent too much time on Twitter yesterday. (laughs) And the day before just sort of ingesting all the bullshit surrounding this 4th of July thing. Everything from North Korea comparisons. I saw a comparison to Khrushchev. I saw a comparison to Nuremberg. Oh my God, it's Hitler's car. <laughs> Tanks rolling down the street. There were, what, four I think there were actually two, technically two tanks, if I got my information correctly. There were two Abrams tanks there and two other armored vehicles, and they were all parked. Did I miss the big military parade with legions of tanks and nuclear missiles being paraded down Pennsylvania Avenue? What did I miss here? Maybe it was a little gauche. Yeah. Okay, and maybe he broke some norms. The thing that really makes me laugh about this whole thing, though, is the manufactured outrage over the cost. Democrats suddenly complaining about how much things cost. The entire controversy, like Wayfair, you just wanted something to trend on Twitter. I'm convinced of it. You just wanted to see your pet project of the week, your pet outrage of the week, trend on Twitter. So you could feel like you did something. Mistaking tweeting for action. Stay tuned. More coming. And no, Trump didn't make the uh, speech political. Actually, you know what? I was playing a video game <laughs> while he was. I didn't. I wasn't going to watch that. I don't tend to watch President Word Soup when he makes his speeches. <sighs> Perhaps I should have. It may have been the more I don't know responsible podcaster thing to do, but I didn't. I confess it. I got my coverage later. Apparently, he didn't really politicize the damn thing. He just made a speech. Yay, America, on the 4th of July. Went about his business. Had a huge fireworks display. Are you complaining about that, too? Are you complaining about the fireworks display because it came from Donald Trump? Did you complain about it and then go maybe to see the one in Chicago? Disingenuous 
contrived virtue bat signaling outrage. Trump bad. That's what this whole thing reeks of all week. And it got to the point actually yesterday, last night, earlier tonight actually, technically as I record this, where I was trying to get my information, trying to get my news, figure out what actually happened there to see if it was as bad as everybody said it was going to be. Oh my God, Nuremberg! I flipped on CNN. They had some stupid, uh, well, it's actually a really good show. It's not stupid. I would have preferred they had actual news coverage on, on a, you know, what is it, a Thursday night or whatever it was. I'm losing track of my days. Yeah, Thursday night. But no, they had the 90s show, the series that they typically run, I think, on Sundays. Good show. I wanted news coverage last night. So I flipped over to MSNBC. That wasn't happening. Oh, no. I tried to watch it earlier in the day, did the same thing, flipped on CNN, flipped on MSNBC. The reason I was playing a goddamn video game is because the coverage is horrendous. It's just hyperbole, speculation. It's that product shit that I was talking about. I've talked about for months now, literally for two months since the very first podcast I did when I came back and recycled my Media 101 podcast. It's the people, stupid. Putting out product for you to gorge yourself on, to bask in your political, ideological, and moral certitude. With your little tribe. I could not watch CNN and MSNBC anymore this afternoon. That is not news. That is product. Heroin for the ideologically righteous. I couldn't do it anymore. Ah, fuck it. I, I'm not going to watch the damn thing. I can't watch oh, You know what? Let's play MLB 19 the show. <laughs> and so I did. Had a nice game with Hal Newhauser. Actually, two. Then, when I couldn't find any coverage that I could either stomach or find, in the basic sense, I flipped over to Fox News. And they had their own special programming on. They were doing, I think, montages, sort of a best of. Didn't really get much out of that either. But, you know, one thing I did see, I have this written down. I guess we'll go here first. I haven't watched a lot of Fox News. Traditionally and historically, I cannot watch it. Back in my resistance liberal days, I could not flip over to Fox News for longer than probably two or three minutes before just being flummoxed. You guys are just propaganda. Get away from me. A lot of times, it's pretty accurate. But I watched Tucker Carlson tonight. And you know what I saw? I saw a guy slamming Mitch McConnell and actually praising Elizabeth Warren. Sort of. He was talking about her economic patriotism plan. Being an economic patriot, worrying about American jobs, American manufacturing, first. And Tucker praised her, actually said that that's the kind of stuff that Republicans should be talking about, and then bitch-slapped Mitch McConnell. He was saying that uh, Republicans don't pay attention to their base. They don't like their own base. Bunch of economic elites, that kind of thing. And praised Elizabeth Warren for what she said. And he also pointed out, in the same breath, that there was no identity politics involved. There was no chatter in her missive, in her plan. 
about things like late-term abortion and guns. It was just economics, and he liked it. In fact, he said he thought that Republicans should steal it, but never would because they can't because of what I said a minute ago. Yeah, there was no identity policy, just policy. How is this going to help me or you? And to his credit, he was right. I never thought I would praise Tucker Carlson in my life. He did a good job on that. And one of the things that I took away from that, I watched Tucker for about uh, 35 minutes, and then Hannity came out. I actually watched more of Hannity than I should have. He's just naked. He's <laughs> There's nothing objective and newsy about him. He is a little Goebbels. There's no doubt about that. You're not going to get any... Uh, I'm not going to be flip-flopping on that here on the podcast today. But what I did get, get sort of a, a, a glimpse of, and I've noticed this a few times in the last, I guess, week, is that I think Fox News has picked up on something that I've picked up on myself. I haven't mentioned it in the pod because I thought maybe it's just because, um, I don't know, maybe I ju- I'm just noticing these things because I'm looking for it. That there are people out there, there are a lot more people who are just sick and tired of everything, of both of the lunatic fringes comprising these two batshit political parties. And they're sick and fucking tired of all of it. That's partially why we have Trump. Now that comes with its own batshittery right there with you. I'm not saying he's the solution to any of this. He's the extremist solution to it. The metastasizing tumor, as I like to call it. Growing and festering in the White House. I'm right there with you, brother. I am. I I still am. (laughs) I promise. But I've noticed that I'm finding these people who are just really fed up. And what I noticed last night is I think Fox has picked up on this. Or at least certain elements on that network have picked up on it and have started to sort of voice it, to give an oasis or give cover to these folks. Hey, come on over here. We hear you. We get you. Come on. Come on over. I see none of that on CNN. I see, you're never going to see that on MSNBC. Are you kidding? Rachel Meadow would combust live on camera. Imagine the ratings. It would be great. Be running on loop like the 9-11 film. Oh, my God. (laughs) Over in the corner, you got Lawrence O'Donnell. (sighs) I can still smell the smug even though she's exploded. If you're a liberal... You better hope I'm wrong about that because they are going to, it's going to be a, I'm convinced of it. That's going to be an avenue that you missed again as you've been pandering and spoon feeding identity politics and victimhood and everything else to your poor widow radical base. They're going to brutalize you. If I'm correct about that, if that's just not something that maybe I maybe an, you know an anomaly, 
last night. If it's not, oh boy, you're done. Because I think there is, uh, Chris talked about this podcast a few weeks back. He called it the exhausted majority or the frustrated majority. I can't remember exactly what he called it. But uh, again, I think Justin Amash. I think he's picked up on this. This is a, a very significant development this week. He left a Republican Party yesterday. He declared, I, I didn't like this, a little cliche, but he declared his independence from the Republican Party. Put out, a, I think, a big op-ed, I think, in the New York Times. I could be wrong about that. I didn't read it again. <laughs> I don't need to read it, to be honest with you. I get it, Justin. What he said was that he was frightened frightened of what partisan politics is becoming and that I think he uh, implied that he didn't have a home in the Republican Party anymore because of his constitutional um, loyalties, I guess, his independence as far as the uh, Trump impeachment goes. He's a persona non grata. He's being primaried. I think more than one person has announced that they're going to primary him up in Grand Rapids in the next election. He's probably, I know that part of the state, that's a little mini Bible Belt up there. If you're not familiar with West Michigan, oh yeah. Especially a little west of Grand Rapids, uh, <laughs> around Holland. Oof. <sighs> Biloxi's got nothing on you, baby. So yeah, he, he left the Republican Party. And I think he's picked up on something that maybe isn't really um, sifting and seeping through his district up there. But nationally, I think what he did when he came out and he supported Trump's impeachment, called a spade a spade, regardless of party loyalty, regardless of partisanship, I think he saw what that tapped into. And I think it's the same thing that maybe I'm picking up on that maybe certain tiny factional elements over at Fox have picked up on, and maybe some other people. I, I am cautious, I mean, very cautiously, cynically optimistic. <laughs> How's that for a phrase? I'm cynically optimistic that the worm and the tide is finally starting to turn here, slowly. Where, instead of the majority of the middle, sensible, common sense fucking people that are sick and tired of the extremism, instead of this mass of people, both on the left and the right, who are sick of this shit being the ones who've been alienated and disenfranchised by extremism, maybe the worm is starting to turn a little bit. Where Antifa, more on them coming real soon. And that sort of festering Trumpism over there. And maybe that's going to take a little, a little more work. But maybe, maybe, there is, finally, a movement to represent the exhausted center. The frustrated majority. I don't know for sure. Not making any predictions here. I'm good for my predictions sometimes. Not quite there yet. But I've seen something. And I think Amash, I hate the fact that he's a former Tea Party guy. I don't want to compliment him. I really don't, but... For the love of Christ, he's been a breath of fresh air. And all the breaths of fresh air, have you noticed this? 
Almost all of them are coming from the conservative party. Bill Crystal's another one. I hated that guy. But he's been a never-Trumper forever. He's another guy that's sort of gravitating toward the middle. I can't, I didn't make a comprehensive list of all these folks, but there are a bunch of them, and they're almost all exclusively from the Republican Party, the former traditional conservative instead of batshit fringe radical wing of the Republican Party, just ordinary conservative people. That, I think, if there is hope, that's where the political... Fertility, the fertile field of the new political movement is going to come from. It's going to be on the right because there's nobody on the left that I can think of. I, I should be able to think of these people. I mean, maybe Andrew Yang, but he's got this, hey, let's give everybody a thousand. It's like, <laughs> it's just, uh, Jesus Christ, it's reparations for all. What is that? <laughs> come on. He's just out there too. He's got a. Nobody on the left can do... I mean, if you watched the debates the other night, last week, every candidate that was on stage that I saw, which wasn't much, they're pandering to the far left. And the ones who weren't sounded and looked like they were completely out of place. Like, yeah, you're, you're going nowhere. First of all, let's get rid of the audiences for these goddamn debates. So you have candidates who are up here just thinking and not playing to get a response from the audience so the nationwide audience thinks they're awesome and everybody loves them, and they should too. That has to go. Along with 20 of these 23 candidates, I'd be happy with that. Let's at least get rid of 10. Can we at least do that? Maybe 15? Really, de Blasio? Really? Marianne Williamson, is that your name? Shouldn't you be, like, tending your crystal field or some shit? Go away. You're sucking air out of the conversation. Mr. Yang, I'd love to have your $12,000 a year. You can give that to me anyway. I'd be cool with that. It's fine. If you really want to do that, start with me. Just get the fuck out of the race. You're sucking oxygen out. I know it's it's early. Lots of things can change. There's no Donald Trump in that field. And I'm saying that as an insult. Who is the Donald Trump in that field? Somebody who's going to rise like a phoenix from the 1% ashes over the course of the next year. Who is it? You've got about five, maybe six legitimate candidates in there. Prune the fat off of this wildebeest. And let these people talk so we can actually understand and see how radical they really are or aren't. Anyway, yes, I will say that. That if there is hope, if I picked up on this, it's going to come from right of center. It's not going to come from the left. Let me give you one example of why I think if there's going to be some representation of the middle, why I think it's going to come from the right instead of from the left. Because watching all of these political candidates, I didn't, again, I didn't watch a lot of these debates. I'm assuming the reparations discussion, I hope to God it didn't come up. But I'm still seeing, you know, this was a big deal. It was all over the news a few weeks ago. Uh, who was it? One of those candidates. Was it Elizabeth Warren? 
One of those candidates said that uh, gay people should get reparations because before gay marriage was legal, they couldn't file a joint tax return. Everybody's getting reparations now. <laughs> Everybody's getting, getting paid for the hot coffee. Right. Anyway, reparations for slavery was all the rage a couple of weeks ago. Some guy, don't know his name, don't care to know it, was in front, I think, of one of the Senate people or Congress. I don't know. But he was talking about reparations and why black people should get reparations. And I've, I've withheld and resisted the urge to rant. But my thoughts on reparations involve things like England footing the bill. Since the colonists, when slavery was an institution here, were English subjects, subject to English law before the revolution, before our independence. It was an English institution. They built their economy, what there was of it, here in the New World, accordingly. If you don't like that idea, or maybe in addition to that, how about sending the Dutch and Arab nations a bill? Maybe a little invoice. Since, you know, the slave trade was largely organized in Africa by roaming bands of slave traders, almost none of which were American. Think about the logistics of that. You're a colonist. I don't know, down in South Carolina. Maybe you live in Charleston. You get your cousins together. You hop on a boat. What are you going to do? You're going to go over to Africa and start rounding up slaves? No, you'll die. You would die. There was an intricate network of slave trade on the continent. Exploited by all sorts of different nations. The Dutch, the English, the Arabs had a huge role in that. Stanley Livingston, you know Dr. Livingston, I presume? Livingston ran into these caravans of Arabs rounding up slaves to sell repeatedly while he was exploring the continent looking for the uh, source of the Nile. Ran into them all the time. They saved his ass a couple of times. That's where the trade started. They hold some responsibility. They, I think, England and the Dutch and the Arabs and maybe a few other countries should also foot some of the bill if we're going to pay reparations. Don't you? Why should it just be us? It wasn't our law. Thomas Jefferson petitioned the king. He uh, petitioned Parliament to end slavery on the continent. They refused because it was profitable. People tried to get rid of it for a long time. The initial blame for the institution of slavery on this continent lies in England. It was their law, their tradition, their culture, however you want to look at it. So why not send them the I have occasional downloads heading over to that island. What do you guys think? You up for that? That would be justice. I'll type the invoice up right here on my computer. I'll send it over to you. We'll see what old Nigel thinks about it. <laughs> oh, here's another thing. We could collect reparations from the descendants of Africans. Africans themselves who captured and then sold and traded their own fucking people to the slave traders. 
Oh, yeah, that was happening. Rounding up and selling your own people to these pale-faced and dark-skinned, tan-skinned foreigners who are selling them as slaves on other continents. I think they should help pay. Don't you? Wouldn't that be fair? Wouldn't that be justice? I think it's a great idea. Now, if you want to insist on keeping it domestic, keeping it here in the United States, that's fine. How much are slave descendants going to pay families of the, I don't know, 300,000 plus Union soldiers who died fighting for their freedom in the Civil War? Fair is fair. Reparations. I feel like if I had descendants, ancestors, I should say, in the Civil War fighting to free the, the slaves, well, if they died, I feel like I should be given something. What about my family's pain? Who knows what that guy could have become? I could be rich right now. He could have, he could have been the founder of, uh, I don't know, some railroad. The great North American Dodzilla Railroad. <laughs> right? I feel like that could have happened. I feel like I'm a victim. Where's my reparations for my ancestor dying to free those people? It's an injustice. It is. Now, maybe you're not down with that. That's fine. Maybe you just consider keeping, I don't know, the fine limited to the Confederate states. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. That should go real well. Get back to me on that. See how it goes. Look, this isn't a road you want to travel very far. This is reparations road. You loyal parishioners over at Our Lady of the Perpetual Victim. Are you sure you really want to poke the Cracker Bear here? Are you looking forward? Think about this. Are you looking forward to the America was founded as a white nation crap? That, objectively speaking, objectively speaking now, is actually far more accurate and appealing to far more people than the Christian nation bullshit we've all come to love and adore hearing oh so much. You're not going to like where it takes you, but you need to follow that train of thought a little bit. Because I guarantee you, there are several million Pale faces out there who are doing that right now every time you bleat about reparations. I mean, justice, the concept of justice, is just a concept. In reality, it's exactly as, quote-unquote, real as a border. It's entirely subjective, justice. It only works if it's universally agreed upon. Otherwise... Guess what? People don't agree, they don't participate, and it breaks down. Now, is your social justice mind convulsing right now at the very notion that the God of righteousness and justice isn't really real? Having a twitch, are you? That's fine. Go take a weekend hike alone, maybe through the Amazon, and see if he shows up. Or maybe ask a child with cancer like a four-year-old kid in a cancer ward, their thoughts on the idea of an external justice. Objectively, the notion of an external living, quote-unquote, justice, something outside of your mind, is some Cotton Mather-grade bullshit. It doesn't take much to get your head around that if you really 
disconnect and think about it. And when you talk about reparations, <laughs> and you think about it in the context of 2020, the election next year, when you start spitting this shit out, it's almost like you secretly love and adore Donald Trump and want to see him reelected. The boomerang, man, I'm telling you, you better duck. It's about to hit you square in the face again. You absolutely do not see it. You have no idea the effects of it. You have no idea how ridiculous this concept of an external God of justice is. Something outside of your head that nobody else has. They don't have to cooperate with it. It can be imposed because the justice God is on your side. You, you sound like some of the worst cult members ever. You sound like Westboro Baptist Church. Our righteousness will be imposed upon thee. Give me justice. Hopefully I have enough time in this episode, but I got something for you that explains, if not all, a great deal of this. I'm chomping at the bit to get to that. It's wonderful. I almost got to this. This was uh, part of the content that I had drawn up uh, for the last podcast. Didn't have time to get to it. There's this guy. First, let me say that I have abandoned Quillette. I was a slight to moderate fan of the IDW, the Intellectual Dark Web, for quite a while. I spent a lot of time reading the material over there. I liked a lot of it. I still, you know, like a lot of it. I cannot digest it anymore. Those were the first people that I blew out of my Twitter feed when I started my digital detox. Oh, I haven't given you an update yet. I'll do that at the end. But the IDW to me... And I'll get to this in a little while. This is going to tie into the, the stuff that I have for you later on as well. But that's become its own ecosystem, its own echo chamber, its own tribe. Uh, that was driven home to me earlier. Actually, it was last weekend. I do not know how to say this man's name, so I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to stumble all over it, and I have a nickname for Andy Ngo, N-G-O, Andy N-G-O, and Bingo is now his name O. Andy Ngo, NGO, <laughs> henceforth known on the Tonzilla X Pod, the Escaping the Cave podcast, and the ChristopherMedia.net network as Bingo. He was attacked by Antifa last weekend as he was supposedly, quote unquote, covering as a journalist, quote unquote, the demonstration uh, last weekend. This is not the first time this has happened. Now, this is the thing. This is, this is the thing that, that, that keeps sticking out in my head. He was treated rather unkindly last month uh, during Antifa Portland's May Day demonstration as well. And he, <laughs> he tried to trigger the uh, viral moment back then as well on Twitter. Trying to get everybody to see what they did to me. I was beaten up. God damn it. Patreon, Patreon. Here's, here's my Patreon support. Support journalism. And it failed. That's when I got rid of him. I'd read a couple of his pieces, I think. But I was like, oh, wow, what the hell are you? You're a little out there, dude. Okay, well, you know, I'll still stick around for a little while because I like some of these other guys, but you, you're not, I don't know what the hell you are. 
And I remember thinking that to myself. And then this happened. And it went on for like a week. He kept pimping it and pimping it. Look what happened to me. Oh, I'm out on the front line of the culture war. And Antifa beat me up. Give me money. This happened last month. You can go find Bingo's fucking Twitter feed and go back and look at it. I'm sure it's still there. You have to scroll through probably 8,000 tweets. He tweets all the goddamn time. But anyway, this was stuck in my head. And then I saw it again last weekend. And the first thing that came to my mind, the second thing after the May Day thing, was I've traveled around Latin America a lot. I like to talk about it. I'm proud of that. Yes, I know. Anyway, there's always this thing. And had this conversation, a lot of people, over the last 10 years. But you go to a city, say, I don't know, let's uh, use Tegucigalpa, Honduras, right? There are certain parts of that city you don't go to. And you, if you do, you kind of deserve what you get. If you get robbed because you're wandering around in a neighborhood you shouldn't be wandering around in, whose fault is that, Really? You could have prevented all of that. Same thing in Chicago when I lived there. I didn't go to the South Side. I knew better. I'm not going to force myself in there and then whine and complain when I get beat up or robbed. <laughs> when it was my decision to go someplace, I knew I wasn't wanted, shouldn't be, and made myself a goddamn target. Travelers and backpackers, you're familiar with all this. If you've been to any, I don't know, less fortunate city in the country or in the world, you know you don't go in certain parts of these cities. There are certain parts of some countries you don't go to. There are, there are whole cities. San Pedro Sula. You don't fuck around in San Pedro. If you fuck around in San Pedro Sula and something happens to you, it is your fault. Now, it's questionable since this man has railed on and antagonized Antifa repeatedly, it's questionable whether he's the guy who should be taking his precious camera to an Antifa May Day rally. They know who he is. He's making himself a target. He knows. He's an intelligent guy. He knows how this social media influencer bullshit works. He's making himself a target. He knows how to exploit making himself a target. He tried it last month. It didn't work. Nobody gave two shits last month. Well, let's try it again. And this time, he got the shit kicked out of him. He was put in the hospital. Antifa took him to town this time. He may or may not have had a brain hemorrhage. I say may or may not because, you know what, I don't 100% believe him. But he's right back there. Not two months later, the same thing happens to him. He knew that was going to happen to him. It had already happened. He either knew it or he's a goddamn moron who shouldn't be writing for anyone. So the Quillette people, the IDW people, and a lot of other conservative journalists, I'll get to that phrase here in a minute, jumped on the bandwagon and started posting his Patreon cup all over Twitter. Michelle Malkin, two and a half million followers on her account. She posted a GoFundMe link for Mr. Bingo, presumably to cover his medical expenses and to replace his camera gear, which was busted for the second time in, two, in a month. 
six weeks, two months, however long it's been. Seven weeks, whatever. Two and a half million followers and she threw... How much money did he make from the GoFundMe? I can tell you. Last time I checked, and I'm sure it's gone up because he's now written an op-ed or an opinion piece, I think, in the Times. I was attacked by Antifa. Here's my story. He made the masturbatory signal that nobody could see. Last I checked, they were advertising this. They were proud of it. $117,000 had gone just into the GoFundMe page. And this was several days ago. It wouldn't surprise me if that's well over $200,000 by now. I don't know. Just speculating. But he's also put his Patreon account out there. I talked about this a few weeks ago with Kathy Young. This is the social media influencer. (laughs) Political influencer. Business model. You write something provocative. You feed the chum to the ideological echo chamber sharks and you get them to pay you directly instead of having to worry about advertising. It's the PBS model. And so many people, primarily from what I saw within the IDW camp, and it is a camp now, we're sharing that story, sharing the Patreon link, sharing the GoFundMe page. It's really hard. If you're detached, it's really fucking hard not to think that he knew this was coming, that he did it to take a beating so he could exploit it, he could publicize it, to build his brand and build his bank account. How can you not look at it that way? Unless you really just don't want to, unless you're addicted and drunk on the narrative of us good, them bad. And we need every example we can to show the world how evil they are. I mean, $117,000 plus Whatever went into his Patreon account to take a beating? Spend the night in the hospital? Hmm. I don't know what the hospital, I don't know if he's got insurance coverage. I don't know what the hospital bill cost him. But even taking that out of it, that's a pretty good payday, don't you think? And and what's the the, uh, name recognition worth? The brand building. Everybody knows who Bingo is now. Everybody's going to recognize that stupid name. Gal. Oh, and then there was the gay aspect. Because he's gay, you see. So there were other people who were trying to equate it to a hate crime. Because this provocateur happened to be gay. Oh, I got a gig. I got beaten. Hate crime. Uh, even though it had nothing to fucking do with the fact that he was fucking gay. <laughs> the stupidity. The willful ignorance is mind-boggling. From all of these people, these people that pronounce their free-thinking capacities all the time. And they just get sucked into this tribalism. That's one of our guys. Yeah, he's in the right. Can't have that reflect because he's an editor at Quillette too, by the way. He's an editor there, I do believe. Can't have that reflect negatively on the big Quillette brand, so he's in the right. Seriously, fuck you. 
how can you how can you have any sense of intellectual dignity? Do you just not say I know you I know you don't. That's what it is. This is Heights Elephant again. Look, there's there's another aspect to this, and maybe I see this a little more clearly than most. It tends to happen. But I lived in uh, New Mexico for uh, quite a while. And 2011, the Occupy movement hit. And for about a month, after it began in New York City and started to spread around the country, it was actually pretty authentic. Briefly. (laughs) And that's when I got involved with it. Uh, I guess it was late September, early October of 2011. We had an Occupy Santa Fe thing set up. I got involved with them. I started going to meetings All sorts of stuff. We even had a provocateur there who was trying to get us basically to behave like Antifa. (laughs) This was in 2011. I had never been exposed to an embedded provocateur before. I finally saw one firsthand. I finally saw how they operate. That was the first lesson I learned. The second lesson I learned was that the tents weren't housing anybody at night in the park. There may have been two people who were there to keep an eye on things. But the vast majority of the people, at least in Santa Fe, those tents were empty. They went home and slept in their own beds every night and left the tents there to look like people were sleeping in them. Oh, idealistic. There's some authenticity for you, huh? It's all about the image. It's all about the brand. It's all about the propaganda. That was disillusioning. Just a little bit. And then, more closely tied to bingo, I also saw these folks. Now, this is back before uh, smartphones really were a rage. I saw people down there who were antagonizing public figures with a video camera in their face, trying to maybe get them to shove them, you know, like just standing in front of them, stopping that kind of thing, so they could get a piece of video where maybe the politician, the public figure, whoever the target was, maybe just even touched them. So they could maybe perhaps tumble to the ground, edit the footage, to make it look like they were being insulted and being pushed around. That was exactly, they were actively looking to do that. I had never seen that before either. That was my first lesson, my first first person experience with producing disinformation, deceptive disinformation to exploit and build a brand. So yeah, bingo, I tend to smell it out. And I don't see how you can look at this. I don't see how you can see it. You have to look at this cynically in this day and age. Are you fucking kidding me? You have got to look at this cynically. Follow the fucking money. Holy shit, follow the brand. Follow the news coverage, for Christ's sakes. If this was a one-off, fine. But the fact that the same fucking thing happened six weeks ago, are you kidding me? There's a couple of different aspects to this, too. Because Antifa, Jesus Christ, you shouldn't be allowed to gather publicly because you're too stupid. You just gave this guy exactly what he wanted. You gave him the personal PR coup he was looking for while you also painted yourselves exactly how he wanted you to be painted. 
and exactly how everybody else on the right wants you to be painted. You fell into a fucking propaganda, a PR trap, and you enjoyed every fucking minute of it. So there's that. Another angle of this is the predictable tribal reaction. Everybody on the right thinks that he's just a good old-fashioned journalist doing some journalism. (laughs) Well, everybody on the left pretty much takes my angle on this. They can see it for what it is. is Of course it is. This is a trade of propaganda. You can see somebody else's bullshit. You can see the other side's bullshit. You cannot see the bullshit of your own team. So, of course... The people on the left are going to see it for what it is, while everybody on the right, especially these Quillet surrogates, they're going to... (laughs) It really is. It's like pissing into a fire hose. That's what this feels like. Pissing into a fire hose. Anyway. (laughs) This is one of those examples that shows that sometimes... Sometimes it's possible for both quote-unquote sides to simultaneously be wrong at the same time. That's what simultaneously means. Sensationalist grifting, attacking people on the streets. Who's right here? (laughs) I got a whole lot of bullshit wrong. I mean, we got a guy who profiteered from it. And we got one side that got, you know, a nice dose of PR for a week. Some anti-Antifa propaganda of their own. Because, of course, they're going to frame this as just a noble journalist off doing the people's work. (laughs) Now, beyond that, I I have to give... (laughs) I decided to give some awards here. And I give the intelligence prize to Bingo in this case. He's not stupid. I got to give him credit for that. He got exactly what he wanted to. He's been trying to provoke Antifa into a profiteering assault for more than a month, probably longer. I wasn't really aware of who he was prior to this May Day thing. I'd seen his name a few times, but I wasn't really aware of him. And again, I immediately ditched and muted him when I saw the the shameless pandering of his provoked abuse back then. But, you know, to give the guy some credit, all right, at least he put some foresight and planning into some clever, deceptive fuckery. That took some planning. That took some scheming. I give him credit. Now, Antifa? <laughs> Idiots. Just reacted predictably. Succeeded in accomplishing nothing more than elevating this dude's profile and confirming what many people already thought about Antifa as a group. If their little anarchistic utopia it's going to be crafted by short-thinking dimwits like that, man. Forget, forget the oxymoron of anarchistic utopia, by the way. Forget that for a second. It won't have enough functioning chromosomes to exit the birth canal still breathing. It's going nowhere. If that's the type of intelligence and foresight you have, give it the fuck up. Go run a Krispy Kreme. Finally, I've seen the title applied to Andy Bingo several times this week as being a conservative journalist. I'm a little excitable sometimes. This really makes my skin crawl. Conservative journalist. 
I'm going to say this as calmly, as calmly as I can. Zen. There is no such thing as a conservative, liberal, environmentalist, pro-anti-abortion, pro-anti-gun journalist. There is no such thing. You see, there's journalism, and then there's opinion pimping. They are not the same thing. When your content becomes tainted with agenda or naked politics, partisanship, you've moved into the realm of commentary, public relations, You know where this is headed by now. In short, you're no longer a journalist on the hunt for truth with which to enlighten the citizenry. Oh no, you're a propagandist. Plain and simple. You're a propagandist whose assumed task is to mold minds and craft opinions to conform to one doctrine or another. One agenda or another to further and promote a certain cause. When activism meets journalism, it becomes propaganda. This is basic elementary shit that has been lost on the collective population. It's been lost not only on that, it's been lost on the people inside of the media who should know better, who do know better, and now simply just do not care. Conservative journalist is an oxymoron. Liberal journalist is an oxymoron. If you're producing content that's conservative or content that's liberal, you're producing Basically the equivalent of a propaganda pamphlet. And you're shoving it on the internet to all your followers. As you fulfill your childhood dream of being a propaganda farting flesh bot. Let's do it. Um, I, I, I do not understand. I, I can't for the life of me. I don't understand how... Yes, I do. God damn it. Yes, I do understand how this has happened. We're so awash and drowning, suffocating, buried in propaganda. We don't know the difference anymore. We can't tell the difference. You know, maybe you think you're Murrow staring down McCarthy in your mind. I'm sure that's it. But in fact, you're, you're, you're pretty much standing right next to Tokyo Jane. Baghdad Bob. Sarah Huckabee Sanders. How do you like that one? Ooh, there's a comparison. Maybe you're offering alternative facts. Could be. The word journalist is the latest in a long line of words that have been hijacked to replace something else in the minds of the oblivious, drunk, media content 
consumer and these social media political influencers. I have to admit it. I am developing a very intense disdain for social media political influencers. Social media influencers in general, sort of concealed grifters, funneling money via content into a Patreon account, putting forth product in order to trigger donations, Patreon panhandling. To put a bow on this piece, as far as words being hijacked and redefined like conservative journalist, I've got to cut this a little short today. There's a lot more to this. In fact, it's already been recorded. <laughs> I'm a pro. You would have never known it had I not told you. Uh, but that uh, the next piece deserves to be its own podcast. It went really long. I'm not going to do a two-hour podcast anymore. I told you that. So you're going to get two. And I can promise you this time because the second one's already done. I want you to think about how words are hijacked. Where you've got an image. When I say conservative journalist, the active word is journalist. You have an image in your mind of what a journalist is. Someone who's seeking the truth. Presumably, in a perfect world. That doesn't fit. They can't be seeking the truth if they're coming from a conservative angle. They are supporting an orthodoxy, an agenda. In Bingo's case, it solidifies my viewpoint that the intellectual dark web and Quillette and all things associated are indeed if not Trump-adjacent, they are definitely a gateway toward there. But I want you to think about definitions. I got something you're going to hear again. I put this in the next piece, but this uh, deserves repeating. And this comes from Neil Postman. And he talks about definitions and how words are hijacked to mean different things in his book, uh, Conscientious, Conscientious Objections. I can't say that word. Conscientious. Blah. Anyway, here's the quote from the book. Uh, he who holds the power to define is our master. He who holds in his mind an alternative definition can never quite be his slave. One more time. He who holds the power to define is our master. He who holds in his mind an alternative definition can never quite be his slave. An alternative definition or the proper definition. If you can maintain what a word means without subconsciously letting someone else redefine it for you, he has no power over you because you'll be able to see it. You'll be able to detect the disinformation and the psychological fuckery that we are awash in. There's another quote from the same book, the same chapter, I believe. It is a form of stupidity, something worse than the ignorance of not knowing, to accept without reflection someone else's definition of a word, a problem, or a situation. That's not a direct quote. I added the Jeffersonian part in there, the ignorance of not knowing part. Do not let someone else, without reflection, without questioning a redefinition or a repositioning of a word, 
Don't let them do that without questioning it. If you hear someone trying to do that, it's a huge, massive football field-sized red flag. Conservative journalist. It's a euphemism. Because propagandist sounds dirty. And is. It is. It's fucking filthy. Always, my friends, remember this. If you remember nothing else from this whole segment here, always, always, always follow the euphemism. Might not like where it takes you. It's going to take you somewhere, though. <laughs> Promise. This whole next episode is recorded. <clears throat> For the most part. I might have to add a thing or two. That'll probably be out uh, Saturday or Sunday. It'll be out sometime this weekend. Please listen to it. I think this is one of the better episodes that I've done. I finally crack, break the cherry on this whole propaganda thing that I've been teasing you with for a month. I finally uh, start to dive into it a little bit. It's very, very important stuff. It's something you need, you need to understand. If you listen to nothing else in my podcasts, listen to the propaganda stuff. Por favor. ChristopherMedia.net network. That's where I am. You can also get me on Apple Podcasts. You can get my website, escapingthecave.com. Also, check out my other one, ToddzillaX.com. All my old travel stuff's there. Oh, it's neat shit. Makes me want to go out and hitchhike. Thanks for clicking in. Till next time, so long.